The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Hebrews chapter number 12 is where we'll be at. We're going to pick it up in verse number 23 as we continue our message series simply entitled The New Covenant. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, Jesus Christ being the firstborn begotten son of God. So you could say to the church of Jesus Christ, which are written in heaven and to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of just men made perfect. Let that phrase sink in. We have been made perfect because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ by God. Verse number 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. This morning, pastor is going to bring a message entitled, The New Covenant. We are looking forward to continuing our series, The New Covenant. And as I've told you from the beginning, and I think I say this every week, but the first several sermons in this particular series are very academic in nature. They're kind of heady, uh, a little bit intellectual, and I'm really just trying to lay some of the theological foundation for the practical that is to come over the next several weeks. So I just want to say to those of you who are already familiar with some of what we're talking about and some of what we're teaching through, uh, let me just give you a big, huge thank you. Uh, thank you for your patience. Uh, thank you for your willingness just to wade through some of this uh, so that some folks that maybe this is new to them and this is kind of their first exposure to all of this, uh, they can really walk through it in kind of a didactic a specific type of way so we really grasp and understand all that we've been unpacking over these last couple of weeks. And so for those of you who are kind of caught up to speed, I appreciate your patience on that. And so uh, I want to throw our theme here up on the screen very quickly, and that is simply this. It's really easy to misinterpret big portions of the Bible. And this happens all of the time and not meaning to, we're not trying to, it just tends to happen. And then because of this misinterpretation, it's easy to go on and then misapply uh, major portions of the Bible to our everyday life. And, and this is something as a church we want to be careful of. We want to make sure that as we go to the Word of God, we're not just kind of extracting whatever it is that we want it to say, extract out of it anything that we want it to mean. We, we want to get God's heart on it. And that's what this series is all about. It's, it's helping us to rightly divide the Word of truth. And so that's what we're doing over these next couple of weeks here, all right? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to just do a quick overview of the four questions of the Old Covenant. So we talked about last week uh, basically what was the Old Covenant. Uh, before we understand the New Covenant, we got to know what the old one was. And basically it was those 613 moral laws of Moses. And uh, it was that that was given here uh, to the people of Israel, which answers our second question. Who was the Old Covenant laws specifically for and we talked for some time that it was specifically for the nation of Israel and this is where a lot of people get confused because they read portions of the Bible that was specifically directed toward the nation of Israel and they look at passages that were under this old covenant to the nation of Israel and then they apply it to themselves as if it's for us today and we can get into a lot of theological issues when we begin to do that and so who was the old covenant for it was for the nation of israel what were the old covenant's limitations what were what, what could it not do and as we saw last week uh, two weeks ago 
the reality is the old covenant laws, you know, they did not have the capacity to save and bring salvation to people's souls. That's not what the moral law was made for. It's not that if we attain to these laws, we earn salvation through our good works. That's, that's not what the old covenant was there for. In fact, we took it a step further. The old covenant laws don't even support our spiritual maturity. There are some people who believe, yeah, I know that the old covenant can't save me. I know those old moral laws can't get me into heaven. But now that I am saved, I've got to look to those things. And that's how I become a better person. That's, that's how I get uh, morally superior by looking at those laws and trying to live them out in my daily life. And as we're going to see, that is not the new covenant's process by how spiritual maturity takes place in the life of the believer. And then the fourth question we look to answer was, was simply this what was its purpose what why does the why is it in the bible then if 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 it's not for those purposes if it can't save if it can't spiritually mature then what is its purpose and ultimately the purpose of the law is to reveal that as humanity we are weak that we are broken and that we are sinful human beings who get this always fall short of god's perfect standard you see the moral laws of god crush us They destroy us and they reveal our desperate need for a savior, Jesus Christ, not just for salvation, but also for our spiritual maturity. We need Jesus to spiritually mature in our daily lives. And that's what we're kind of unpacking here a little bit today. Here's this quote. The old covenant moral laws were not the how to's of Christianity. See, if you're not careful, we'll go through a lot of these you know, mosaic laws, these ceremonial laws, these kind of sanitary laws, these dietary laws. We'll look at these and we'll, we'll say, no, this is, this is uh, the how-tos of Christianity. It's not. It's God's absolute standard. What are the Ten Commandments? They're God's absolute standard that show humanity its sin and thus its desperate need for a Savior. Even the Apostle Paul said, if it weren't for the law, I wouldn't even know what sin was. That is the purpose of God's moral laws, all right? And so I want to kind of lay that foundation. Now let's move a little bit into what we're going to talk about today, and that is the new covenant, all right? So we're going to start answering some questions. We are going to unpack the DNA of what the new covenant is. We learned about what the old covenant was, what it couldn't do, what it could do, what its purpose was. And now something's going to happen. A new covenant is now something we are a part of. So let's dive into this. If you're taking notes there in your service program, feel free to pull those out. I want you to notice, first of all, today, in the introduction to the new covenant. Let's just kind of give you a brief introduction uh, as to what it is. The new covenant, I want you to see this, is both prophesied, we could say it was promised in the Old Testament, But the New Covenant is also emphasized in the New Testament. And we're going to see that here a little bit today. Over 280 times in the scriptures, we'll find this phrase, covenant. It's a major part of what the scriptures teach us. And to, to properly interpret the word of God, we have to know what this new covenant actually is. So we're just going to go to the Bible here. And uh, this is just going to be a Bible study this morning. And I hope it'll be a help to you. Uh, let's go, to, if we could, to Jeremiah chapter number 31. This was written 600 years before Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice what it says, it says here. It says, the new covenant, all right, behold, it says, the days come, saith the Lord, that 
I will. This is important. This is going to be future tense. This is 600 years before Jesus Christ came to earth. The prophet Jeremiah, he's going to prophesy something and he's going to say, I will. In fact, he's going to make that statement a couple of times. This is very important. What he's talking about had not happened yet. 600 years before Christ, when he's speaking, this, what he's describing has not taken place. He says, this is something that will happen. He says, I will make a, notice this, a new covenant. You see, the children of Israel, they knew about the old covenant. Moses had introduced it to them, the ceremonial, the moral laws. And he says, I'm going to make an entirely new covenant, the Lord says through his prophet Jeremiah, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Praise God that in the New Testament we find that we get to be grafted in to the house of Israel, according to the apostle Paul. Now he says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. This is going to be a very different covenant than the one we're currently experiencing. This new covenant is going to be different than the one that we are currently under in the Old Testament. He says, this is going to be different. It's not going to be like the ones I made with your fathers. It's not going to be like the one I made with Moses. In the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. So he's reminding them, you guys didn't do a very good job keeping my covenants. That's why I'm introducing a new one. You didn't do a good job with the old one. I'm going to introduce a new one. You broke the old ones. Although I was a husband unto them, I loved you. I cared for you, saith the Lord. Notice the next verse here. He goes on to say, but this shall be the covenant that I, here's the word again, will make. It's not happened yet. They're still under this old covenant. But he's prophesying something. He's promising something. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put, notice this. What's this new covenant going to look like? He says, I'm going to put my law not on tablets of stone, not carved into buildings. He says, I'm going to put my law in their inward parts. I'm going to write it on their hearts. He says, I'm going to give you something. We know now what he's going to give us is the Holy Spirit. This is huge. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. He goes on to say, and they shall Teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will, notice this, forgive their iniquity. That's a fancy word for sin. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to forgive them of their past sins. I'm going to forgive them of their present sins. I'm going to forgive them of their future sins. And notice this, I will remember their sin no more. Wow. This is this new covenant. This is prophesied 600 years before the time of Christ. And he says, I'm going to forgive them. In fact, not only am I going to forgive them of their sins, I'm not even going to remember the sins anymore. He goes on in other passages to talk about how he's going to bury it in the deepest sea. He's going to separate himself from your sin as far as the east is from the west. That is what this new covenant is all about. He's going to write the new covenant on our hearts. Now let's keep going. Ezekiel chapter number 36. This was written 550 years before Jesus Christ, before the new covenant would be ushered in. The prophet Ezekiel prophesies this new covenant, says a new heart also will I give you. He says, it's not happened yet. This is 500 years before Christ. This is something that will happen. Something new is going to take place. I will give you. And he says, a new spirit will I put within you. That new spirit is the Holy Spirit of God. 
Uh, when we accept and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone, he gives us his Holy Spirit and puts it within us. He says, I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And he goes on to say, I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Notice what it goes on to say. He says here, he says, uh, oh, you don't have it up on the screens. I'm going to, I'll just read it to you here, the next verse. He says, I'm going to put my spirit within you and notice this, and cause you, this is big, and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Notice that phrase, and cause them, because my spirit's going to be within you. I'm going to give you the desires to do what's right. I'm going to give you the ability. I'm going to empower you from the inside out. No longer will you need it written on tablets of stone. It'll be written in your hearts. I'm going to empower you to do that which you have been unable to do on your own. Deuteronomy chapter number 30 goes on to speak of this. It says in Deuteronomy chapter number 30, And the Lord thy God, here's the word again, will. It's not happened yet. This is 1,400 years before the time of Christ. It's not taken place. He says, I will circumcise thine, this is interesting, heart. You see, under the old covenant, the Israelites were to circumcise their bodies. Now he's saying, hey, under this new covenant, I'm going to do something not to your body. I'm not going to do something to the exterior. I'm going to do something to your heart that's going to change everything. I'm going to change you from the inside out. He goes on to say, in the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. I want you to see this. Under the new covenant that we're ta- talking about, under this new covenant, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, that phrase, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, is much more than just a command. It's going to be a gift. He says, I'm going to cause you to do this. I'm going to put my spirit within you. It's more than a command. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He says, it's more than just a command. It's literally a gift that I am going to empower you to do. So we've seen the new covenant prophesied in the Old Testament. We've seen it promised in the Old Testament. Now let's take a moment and look at it emphasized in the New Testament, all right? It was prophesied in the Old Testament. Notice it being emphasized in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verse 20. 25. This is a familiar scene that we often refer to as the Lord's table or communion. And Jesus says, after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament. It's a new covenant. Remember, we learned two weeks ago, the word testament and covenant, it's the same Greek word. It's interchangeable. This cup is this New Testament. It's this new covenant in my blood. There's a hint in there. A little, there's a little clue in there. This is going to happen at some point with his death. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Something new is about to take place. This Lord's table, the communion that we are involved in, it's symbolic of something. It's a symbolic ritual that reminds us that the old covenant had been done away with. And the new covenant was now going to take its place. And Jesus wanted to memorialize this event through what he refers to as the Lord's table, to remember that we are now under grace. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse 24 in the New Testament says, Jesus is the mediator. We might use the word initiator. He is the facilitator of the new covenant. He's the one that starts this thing. He's the one that gets it going. 
We'll come back to some of these verses in detail later, but I want to show you the fact that the new covenant is both prophesied in the Old Testament and it is emphasized in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 6 is an interesting passage. It says, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, or the, this new covenant. The Apostle Paul is telling the church at Corinth, you as the church, he says, you're ministers now. What are you ministers of? It says you're ministers of the New Testament, this new covenant that I'm making with the people of God, not of the letter. This is interesting. What does that mean? We're ministers of the new, new covenant, not of the letter. That word, literally, it's speaking of the letter of the law. He's saying, hey, you're a minister, not of the letter of the law. He says, why? But of the Spirit. That's, that, this new covenant of grace is God's Spirit doing in you and through you, which you can't do in and of yourself. Why? For the letter, the letter of the law, that Old Testament, Old Covenant law, what did it do? It kills. It crushes. It destroys. It breaks the pride and it breaks the self-righteousness. It is the Spirit of God that gives life. If you've ever met a person who has tried to live under any set of moral laws to find acceptance or validation or to experience, you know, some type of spiritual high, you know that no matter how hard they try, they fail every single time because that's what the letter of the law does. It kills. It destroys it crushes. It is the spirit, this new covenant of grace that breathes life into the heart and into the life. Second Corinthians chapter number three and verse number six. Hebrews chapter number nine keeps this emphasis going. He says in Hebrews nine, and for this cause, he, speaking of Jesus, is the mediator. He's the facilitator of this new testament, this new covenant that by means of death, here's that hint again. When does this new covenant going to take place? When is this new covenant going to start? We get a clue right here. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions, that we were under the first testament, we were under this first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. That they might receive the promise that was promised and prophesied about in the old covenant. Let me go to Hebrews chapter number 8, verse number 8. We're going to go through this quick. This is Hebrews, New Testament, emphasized. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. Basically, whoever the author of Hebrews is, most scholars believe it's the Apostle Paul, he is now going to quote Jeremiah 31. He's going to remind the people of Israel what the prophet Jeremiah said. And so he's going to quote the prophet Jeremiah here and say much of the same things that were being said in Jeremiah 31. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant. I regarded them not, saith the Lord. And so here, the author of Hebrews is, is literally speaking to the children of Israel, to the nation of Israel. And he's saying, remember 600 years ago, when the prophet Jeremiah said something new is coming, here now the author of Hebrews, the apostle Paul, is saying what he prophesied is now happening. And that's all Hebrews is about. 
Hebrew, the entire book of Hebrews is written to Jews. And, and if you're going to interpret the book of Hebrews properly, you have to understand that it's, it is written specifically to Jews who are being convinced, hey, the Messiah has come. The new covenant has been ushered in. You no longer have to live under the yoke of this old covenant anymore. You have been freed and liberated from that, and you are free in Christ. Why? He's going to write his law on your heart. So to cause you to do that which you can't do on your own, everything you've attempted to do, everything you've tried to do and failed at, he is going to make you successful at because he's literally going to change you from the inside out. So we see here today this idea of an introduction to the new covenant. Point number two, we're going to keep moving through this. Take a moment with the understanding the new covenant. Understanding the new covenant. What, What does that mean, all right? And I want to say this, the new covenant is not new in the sense of recent. It's not like, oh, this is something that was recently made up. Like like 10 years ago, we came up with this idea, and so we're going to call this the new covenant. Uh, This new covenant is not something new. In fact, it shadows all the way back to Genesis, I mean, we're talking uh, hundreds of years, 2,100 years before the time of Christ, and we see this new covenant promised. So when we say that it's new, we're not talking in regards to it being recent, like this thing has just started. It just is in contrast to the old covenant found in the Old Testament scriptures here, all right? Luke chapter number 22, verse 12 says this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So let's contrast these very quickly. The old covenant of law versus the new covenant of grace. The the old covenant was God's old way of interacting and engaging with the nation of Israel. The new covenant is God's new way of interacting and engaging with New Testament believers who are in Christ. The The Old Testament, the New Testament, the old covenant, the new covenant. Now I want you to see here. John chapter number one, verse 17 says this. For the law was given by Moses. This old covenant law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, whatever the meaning of the term new is when he talks about a a new covenant, it should be immediately clear from Jesus' words that something's about to change, at least for the children of Israel. What they had been under was going to be different. Under the old covenant mosaic law found in the majority of the Old Testament, something was going to change. A new something was coming in. And we see that Jesus is both the promiser and the fulfiller of this new covenant. Matthew chapter number 5 verse 17 says this. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Jesus says, I'm not trying to destroy this thing. He says, I'm come, I'm not come to destroy but to fulfill Jesus said, I'm going to come down to where you are and do what you couldn't do. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to live the life that you couldn't live. Under the old covenant law, you couldn't do it. It crushed you. It destroyed you. It made you feel like a failure. It made you feel like you were nothing. It made you feel like there was nothing you could do to please God and please those around you. It crushed you. It destroyed you. And that was its purpose. He says, I'm not come to destroy that thing. Jesus says, I'm come and I'm just going to fulfill it. I'm going to do this thing myself. I'm going to take your place. I'm going, to do, I'm going to live the life you couldn't live. And then I'm going to die the death you should have died. And I'm going to take this upon myself. I'm going to do this whole thing for you. Jesus fulfilled the law. He completed every 
aspect of the law on our behalf. This might be in your service program, but there is nothing we need to do to make our relationship with God any more secure and stable. If you are in Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone to be your Savior, then you are validated in Christ. Every aspect of the law has been fulfilled on your account and you have been made justified just as if you'd never sinned, just as if you'd always obeyed. Hebrews chapter number seven, verse number 22 says this. But so much was Jesus made a surety. That's a weird word. It's basically, we could put the word down payment. By so much was Jesus made a down payment of a better testament, a better covenant. So not only is this new covenant different than the old covenant of law, not only is it different, but we are going to see that it's actually better. It's better, at, it, it saves humanity. It can save you, but it, it's better than that because not only does it save you, but it also matures you in a way that the law can't. Focusing on the law, obsessing with the law, trying to dot every I and cross every T and walk the walk and talk the talk has just left you feeling depressed, has left you feeling discouraged. It's left you feeling like a failure. And I believe there are a lot of Christians running around and that's how they feel, like they never measure up. And some of you have lived in families and you feel like, man, you could never measure up. Like you could never, you, could, you, you just felt invalidated. You feel like you weren't enough. You felt like you were incomplete. You felt discouraged. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to do for you what you couldn't do. I'm going to validate you in Christ. I'm going to affirm you in Christ. And that's why this whole thing's better. Because not only does it demand something more, but it also delivers something more. You see, the new covenant can change you in a way that the old covenant could not. It matures you in a way that the old covenant can't. The old covenant of focusing on the law and trying to do your best to live up to it. It didn't save you, but it not only can it not save you, it can't mature you. It can't make you any better. And yet some of you are still on that treadmill. Yeah, you're saved. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but now you're running on this treadmill trying to, you know, somehow, if I can just do enough, I'm going to feel like I matter. I'm going to feel like I'm important. I'm going to feel like I've arrived. And I'm going to say this, the old path, that old covenant, cannot give you that validation. Only the new covenant of grace can accomplish that on your behalf. The covenant is both different than the old law of Moses and it is better than the old law of Moses. Now let me just say this as we kind of wrap some of this up. God has not changed. Malachi is very clear when he says, I am the Lord and I change not. God doesn't change. God's essence does not change. God's nature does not change. God's character does not change. He is God and he does not change. But as we are going to see over the next few weeks, how he engages, yet God's covenant with humanity has clearly changed. How God dealt with Israel was one thing. And how God deals with his New Testament church is something very different. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to start getting really practical with this. We're going to unpack the implications. How does the new covenant 
actually mature us better than the old covenant of law does. Trying to live under the law and trying to dot your I's and cross your T's and walk the walk and talk the talk and do everything you're supposed to do and everything your parents told you and everything the church tells you and everything the pastor says and everything your boss says. Ah! You just get like, what in the world? How do you do that? And we're going to see how the new covenant of grace actually accomplishes through you what this old covenant couldn't do. And so a lot of us in the church, because we have both the Old and New Testament, praise God we've got it. The Old Testament reveals some things about a coming Messiah. It gives us a grand story of redemption. But a lot of us have have created this mixed bag of theological nuts and we pull a little bit from here and a little bit from there and and we try to do a little bit on our own and then we think but for salvation god does it and we're just confused and one of the reasons we're confused is because we don't have a clear differentiating understanding of what is old covenant what was its purpose what did it do and what is new covenant what does it accomplish and what does it do and how does it work and when you can get this crystal clear all of a sudden i believe you are going to you're going to position yourself to experience God like you've never experienced God before. You're going to position yourself to experience, to enjoy God in ways you've never enjoyed him before. Because you've seen God as this one you've got to kind of live up to, that you've got to kind of appease, because if you don't dot this I, if you don't cross that T just perfect, then, you know, God's really mad at you, and, and that's how you feel. And the way you relate to God is based on an old covenant paradigm, not on a new covenant paradigm of grace in Christ. As we're going to see, grace does grow us. Grace does develop us, but it does it in an entirely different way than the law did it, did it. And so we have to operate in a way that's conducive with the new covenant if we're going to see it actualized in our lives and bring the joy and the peace and the love into our lives. A lot of you are living the Christian life, and yet it has no, there's no joy in it. It's because you're living under an old covenant perspective and paradigm of this whole thing. There's no joy. You have no peace. Like you're, you're walking the walk and you're talking the talk. You're doing all the things that good Christians are supposed to do, but you have absolutely no peace. You're not happy. You're not, you have no joy. You're just, kind of, you're just kind of, you know, just kind of like surviving this thing, enduring this Christian life because, well, it's, it's a good thing to be a part of. And so you're, because you're trying to, you're trying to straddle this fence. You're trying to live part in new covenant and part in old covenant. And it's just going to make you miserable. You're not going to experience peace in your, in your Christian life. You're not going to experience joy. You're not going to know what it is to experience God. You see, there is rules, and there's a paradigm of rules, and then there's a paradigm of relationship. My wife and I, we, man, we have an incredible relationship. We enjoy each other's company. When we were dating, she didn't write out a list of rules of all the things that I had to do and had not to do in order if, she was, if we were going to make a, a good couple. I just loved her. She never wrote a rule that I had to buy her flowers. She never wrote a rule that I had to focus in on her. Love did it. And so the new covenant focuses on faith, love, and grace. And love is a much stronger motivator in the Christian life than guilt and shame. Twisting your arm. And we're going to see how the new covenant actually matures believers in a way that old covenant paradigms never could. Old covenant can make you walk the walk. Old covenant can make you talk the talk. Old covenant can make you dot your I's and cross your T's, but it can't give you joy. It can't give you peace. It can't make you love. Why? Because it doesn't have the capacity to do that. And that's where the new covenant makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. The promise is ours who believe in spite of our performance because of Christ's performance on our behalf. 
So next week, we're going to look at the new covenant of grace. What does it accomplish? When we really, when we get locked inside of this thing, what does it do? How does it express itself? What does it accomplish? Not just for our salvation, but for our spiritual maturity as well. And that's what we're going to unpack here next week. And I hope you can make it back as we continue part two of the new covenant of grace. I don't want you to miss one, one part of this. I think it's going to be helpful. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.